0: to Tragic Reader, where I don't read tragedies, but I read tragically. To the episode 10, chapter 8, recap, Mm -hmm -hmm -hmm. where we talk about some of what happened in the last chapter, at least what I can remember, because yeah. Okay, so what I recall is that... uh. Gulliver wakes up alone and everyone's like, Yo, is uh, homegirl with you? What is her name? I forgot her name. Haru is Haru with you. And he was like, Bruh, would I have let you in the room like if we were in here? Like, really? Really? And they were like, Oh, well, the, the dudes took her, the uh, eight men as he called them took her, and he was like, I just for a second want to talk about how. He called them abortions, which is, so Gilbert does not like these Martians. He is just like, y'all, he does not care for them right now, I don't think. So he's mad and he jumps up and is like, we about to ride out. We're going to get her. And then the response that he receives is, um, we haven't had breakfast, so we can't really help you. So he mad, he's off. He goes, jumps on the ship, tries to get the girl, gets knocked upside the head with a mace into some silk floating down the river. That's as far as I got. As I remember, not got, remember. Um, let me see. And then I guess some magical stag, I guess, is swimming. I got the sense that he was like running on the water, but I think he might've just been swimming and then Gulliver wrapped him up and got dragged ashore and was just like, this is my life now. Poor Gulliver and Mars. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait to see what happens in chapter nine because, I mean, stuff is really just rolling now. I really want to see him rescue Haru, but there's like 20 chapters. So I'm pretty sure he's not going to rescue her anytime soon. So let's get right into it. Okay, so this is a second start read-through because I was trying to be cute and save some time and record in browser and it decided to not record. So I'm going to try one more time and then if it doesn't work, obviously you won't hear this and... It'll be a third read, and then if it does work, you'll hear this and just tell me to stop being lazy, perhaps. Okay, so, now that we have that taken care of, chapter nine. I landed stiff enough, as you will guess, but pleased to be on shore again. It was a melancholy neighborhood of low islands, overgrown with rank grass and bushes, salt water encircling them, and inside sandy dunes and hummocks with shallow pools, gleaming ghostly in the retreating daylight, while beyond these rose the black bosses of what looked like a forest. Thither I made my way, plunging uncomfortably through shallows and tripping over blackened branches which lying just below the surface quivered like snakes as the evening breeze ruffled each surface until the ground hardened underfoot and presently i was standing hungry and faint but safe on dry land again the forest was so close to the sea one could not advance without entering it and once within its dark arcades every way looked equally gloomy and hopeless i struggled through tangles night made more and more impenetrable each minute, until presently I could go no further. And where a dense canopy of trees overhead gave out for a minute of the edge of a swampy hollow, I determined to wait for daylight. Never was there a more wet or weary traveler, or one more desperately lonely than he who wrapped himself up in the miserable insufficiency of his wet rags. And without fire, our supper crept amongst the exposed roots of a tree growing out of a bank and prepared to hope grimly for morning. Round and round, meanwhile, was drawn the close screen of night till the clearing in front was blotted out and only the tree tops black as rugged hills, one behind the other, stood out against the heavy purple of the circlet of sky above. As the evening deepened, the quaintest noises began on every hand, noises so strange and bewildering that as I cowered down, my teeth—yeah—as mm. I cowered down with my teeth chattering, and stared hard into the impenetrable, they could be likened to nothing but the crying of all the souls of dead things since the beginning. Never was there such an infernal chorus as that which played up the Martian stars. Down there in front, where hummock grass was growing. Some beast squeaked continuously till I shouted at him. Then he stopped a minute and began, again in, 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 and began again in entirely another note. Away on the hills, two rival monsters were calling to each other in tones so hollow they seemed as I listened to penetrate through me, an echo out of my heart again. Far overhead, gigantic bats were flitting, the shadow of their wings dimming a dozen universes at once, and crying to each other in shrill tones that rent the air like tearing silk. As I listened to those vampires discussing their infernal loves under the stars, from a branch right overhead broke such a deadly howl from the throat of a wandering forest cat that everything else was hushed for a moment. All about a myriad insects were making night giddy with their ghostly fires, while underground... And from the labyrinths of matted roots came quaint sounds of rustling snakes and forest pigs, and all the lesser things that dig and scratch and howl. Yet I was desperately sleepy. My sword hung heavy as lead at my side. My eyelids drooped, and so that so and so at last I dozed uneasily for an hour or two. Then, all of a sudden, I came wide awake with a shock. The night was quieter now. Away in the forest depth, strange noises still arose, but close at hand was a strange hush, like the hush of expectation, and, listening wonderingly, I was aware of slow, heavy footsteps coming up from the river. Now two or three steps together, then a pause, then another step or two, and as I bent towards the approaching thing, staring into the darkness, my strained senses were conscious of another approach as like as could be, coming from behind me. On they came, making the very ground quake with their weight, till I judged that both were about on the edge of the clearing, two vast rat-like shadows, but as big as elephants, and bringing a most intolerable smell of sour slime with them. There, on the edge of the amphitheater, each for the first time appeared to become aware of the other's presence. The footsteps stopped dead, I could hear the water dripping from the fur of those giant brutes amongst the shadows, and the deep breathing of the ones nearest me, a scanty 10 paces off, but not another sound in the stillness. Minute after minute passed, yet neither moved. A half hour grew to a full hour, and that hour lengthened amid the keenest tension till my ears ached with listening, and my eyes were sore with straining into the blackness. At last I began to wonder whether those earth-shaking beasts had not been an evil dream, and was just venturing to stretch out a cramped leg and rally myself upon my cowardice, when, without warning, at my elbow rose the most ear-piercing scream of rage that ever came from a living throat. There was a sweeping rush in the darkness, which I could feel but not see, and with a shock the two gladiators met in the midst of the arena, Over and over they went screaming and struggling, and slipping and plunging. I could hear them tearing at each other, and the sharp cries of pain, first one and then another, gave as claw or tooth got home. And all the time, though the ground was quaking under their struggles, and the air full of horrible uproar, not a thing was to be seen. I did not even know what manner of beasts they were who rocked and rolled and tore at each other's throats but I heard their teeth snapping, and their fierce breath in the pauses of the struggle, and could not but wait in a huddle amongst the roots until it was over. To and fro they went, now at the far side of the dark clearing, now so close that hot drops of blood from their jaws fell on my face like rain in the darkness. It seemed as though the fight would never end, but presently there was more of worrying in it and less of snapping. It was clear one of the other had had enough and as I marked this those black shadows came gasping and struggling towards me there was a sudden sharp cry a desperate final tussle before which strong trees snapped and bushes were flattened out like grass not 20 yards away and then for a minute all was silent one of them had killed And as I sat rooted to the spot, I was forced to listen while his enemy tore him up and ate him. Many a banquet have I been at, but never an uglier one than that. I sat in the darkness while the unknown thing at my feet ripped the flesh from his half-dead rival in strips. And across the damp night wind came the reek of that abominable feast, the reek of blood and split entrails, until I turned away my face in loathing, and was nearly starting to my feet to venture a rush into the forest shadows, but I was spellbound, and remained listening to the heavy munch of blood-stained jaws, until presently I was aware other and lesser feasters were coming. There was a twinkle of hungry eyes all about the limits of the area. The shine of green points of envious fire that circled round in decreasing orbits, as the little foxes and jackals came crowding in. One fellow took me for a rock, so I sat sat still, putting, this, putting his hot, soft paws upon my knee for a space, and others passed me so near I could all but touch them. The big beast had taken himself off by this time, and there must have been several hundreds of these newcomers. A merry time they had of it, The whole place was full of the green, hurrying eyes, and amidst the snap of teeth and yapping and quarreling, I could hear the flesh being torn from the red bones in every direction. One wolf-like individual brought a mass of hot liver to eat between my feet, but I gave him a kick and sent him away much to his surprise. Gradually, however, the sound of this unholy feast died away, and though you may hardly believe it. I fell off into a doze. It was not sleep, but it served the purpose. And when in an hour or two, a draught of cold air roused me, I awoke, feeling more myself again. Slowly morning came, and the black wall of forest around me became full of purple, and mm, I don't know that word, intercessing, as the east brightened. Those glimmer of those glimmers of light between bow and trunk turned to yellow and red. The day's shine presently stretched like a canopy from point to point of the treetops on either side of my sleeping place, and I arose. All of my limbs were stiff with cold, my veins emptied by hunger and wounds, and for a space I had not even strength to move. But a little rubbing softened my cramped muscles, presently and lipping painfully down to the place of combat. I surveyed the traces of that midnight fight. I will not dwell upon it. It was ugly and grim. The trampled grass, the giant footmarks, each in ringing its pool of curdled blood, the broken bushes, the grooved mudslides where the unknown brutes had slid in deadly embrace, the hollows, the splintered boughs, their ragged points tufted with skin and hair, All was sickening to me. I thought he wasn't going to dwell on it. Because he sure went into a lot of detail for someone not dwelling on something. Mm. Yet so hungry was I that when I turned towards the odious remnants of the vanquished, a shapeless mass of abomination, my thoughts flew at once to breakfasting. (laughs) He was like, this is nasty, but I'm hungry. Mm. I went down and inspected the victim cautiously. A huge rat-like beast. As far as might be judged, from the bare uprising ribs, all that was left of him, looking like the framework of a schoonery yacht. I don't know what that looks like. His heart lay amongst the awful, and my knife came out to cut a meal from it, but I could not do it. Three times I essayed the task, hunger and disgust contending for mastery. Three times turned back and loathing. At last I could stand the sight no more, and... Slamming the knife up again, turned on my heels, and fairly ran for fresh air and the shore. Where the sea was beginning to glimmer in the light, a few more score yards through the forest stems. There, once more out on the open, on a pebbly beach I stripped, spreading my things out to dry on the stones, and laying myself down with the lapping of the waves in my ears, and the first yellow sunshine sawing my limbs tried to piece together the hurrying events of the last few days. What were my gay Martians doing, lazy dogs, to let me, a stranger, be the only one to draw sword in defense of their own princess? Where was poor Herod, that sweet maiden wife? The thought of her in the hands of the ape men was odious. And yet, was I not mad to try to rescue or even to follow her alone? If by any chance I could get off of this beast haunted place and catch up with the ravishers, what had I to look for them from what had I to look for from them except speedy extinction? And that likely enough by the most painful process they were acquainted with. You know, I hadn't even thought about that either. Like if you find them. But obviously he, I mean he has to live because he won't be telling the stories. The other alternative of going back empty-handed was terribly ignom—ignominous. I had lectured the amiable young manhood of Seth so soundly on the subject of gallantry and set them such a good example on two occasions that it would be basos to saunter back, hands in pockets, and confess I knew nothing of the lady's fate and had been daunted by the first night alone in the forest. Besides, how dull it would be in that beautiful, tumble-down old city without Haru, with no exception day by day of seeing her sylph-like form and hearing the merry tinkle of her fairy laughter as she scoffed at the unknown learning collected by her ancestors in a thousand laborious years. No, I would go on for certain. I was young, in love, and angry, And before those qualifications, difficulties became light. Meanwhile, the first essential was breakfast. As always, breakfast Mm -hmm. of some kind. I arose, stretched, put on my half-dried clothes, and, mounting a low hummock on the forest edge, looked around. The sun was riding up finely into the sky, and the sea to the eastward shone for leagues and leagues in the loveliest azure, where, where it where it rippled on my own beach and those of the low islands noted overnight. A wonderful fire of blue and red played on the sands as though the broken water were full of living gems. The sky was full of strange gulls with long forked tails and a lovely little flying lizard with transparent wings of the palace green like those of a grasshopper, was flitting about picking up insects, stragglers. All this was a very charming, but what I kept saying to myself was, streaky rashers and hot coffee, rashers and coffee and rolls. I feel like rashers might be hash browns. And indeed had the gates of paradise themselves opened at that moment, I fear my first look down the celestial streets within would have been for a restaurant. They did not, and I was just turning away, disconsolate with my eyes caught ascending from behind the next bluff down the beach, a thin strand of smoke rising into the morning air. It was nothing so much in itself, a thin spiral creeping upwards mast high, then flattening out into a mushroom head, but it, was, but it meant everything to me. Where there was a fire, there must be humanity. And where there was humanity, I, to the very outliers of the universe, there must be breakfast. So I feel like not humanity. Maybe it shouldn't be like Marsh. And I don't know what they would call Martian something. But, you know. I love how he just, like, equates humanity with breakfast. Like, if there's humans, there's gotta be food, because we like to eat. It was a splendid thought. I rushed down the hillock and went gaily for that blue thread amongst the reeds. It was not 200 yards away, and soon below me was a tiny bay with the bluest water frilling a silver beach. And in the midst of it, a fire on a hearth dancing round a pot that simmered gloriously. But of an owner, there was nothing to be seen. Please don't roll down there and just start eating stuff, Gulliver. I peered here and there on the shore, but nothing moved. While out to sea, the water was shining like molten metal with not a dot upon it. What did it matter? I laughed as, pleased and hungry, I slipped down the bank and strode across the sands. It pleased fate to play bandy with me. And if it sent me supperless to bed, why... Here was restitution in the way of breakfast. I took up a morsel of the stuff in the kettle on a handy stick and found it good indeed. Ugh, Why would you... Who just rolls up to a random fire in the middle of some Martian beach? And it's just like, I'm about to grub. Like, you don't even know... Oh my god. You don't even know who it is. It could be the ape Men. Like, clover I can't. I knew it at once as a very dainty mess made from the roots of an herb the Martians greatly liked. An had piled my platter with it when we supped that night in the marketplace of Seth. And the sweet white stuff had melted into my cor- corporeal essence. It seemed without any gross intermediate process of digestion. And here I was again, hungry. Sniffing the fragrant breath of a full meal and not a soul in sight. I should have been a fool not to have eaten. Mm. So, thinking, down I sat, taking the pot from its place. And then you took it off the stove. And when it was a little cool, plunging my hands into it and feasting with a good, with as good an appetite as ever a man had before. I just gotta say, I have this huge pet peeve about other people like stopping a cooking process because when I make like pot roast, it's supposed to be in like the crock pot for 10 hours and every single time my mom opens it. Like every time she will open it and like try to stir it and break it apart and be like, it wouldn't break apart because it's supposed to cook for 10 hours. So Gulliver just like, take it, how do you just go? I mean, sure, eat the random food on the random beach, but don't take it off the, like, no one told, okay. No one told you to do that. Literally no body. So rude, just rude. <sighs> anyway. It was gloriously ambrosial, and deeper and deeper I went, with the tall stalk of the smoke in front growing from the earth stones like some strange new planet. The pleasant sunshine on my back, and never a thought for anything but the task in hand. Deeper, deeper, oblivious of all else, until, to get the very last drop, I lifted the pipkin up, and putting back my head, drank in that fashion, oh no so then he ate all of it so he went to a random beach lagoon type place picked up a random pot of food off of its cooking fire because he couldn't see nobody and then he ate it all and drank okay and drank the rest of it oh man i feel like he's either gonna get his ass kicked or the martian is just gonna be super happy see i hadn't read this far the last time I tried to record this so I really hope he doesn't get his ass kicked because at this point he's been through so much it was only when with a sigh of pleasure I lowered it slowly again that over the rim as it sank there dawned upon me the vision of a martian standing by an empty canoe on the edge of the water and re- and regarding me with calm amazement I was, in fact, so astonished that for a minute the empty pot stood still before my face, and over its edge we stared at each other in mute surprise. Then, with all the dignity that might be, I laid the vessel down between my feet and waited for the newcomer to speak. She was a girl by her yellow garb, a fisherwoman it seemed, for in the prow of her craft was piled a net upon which the scales of fishes were twinkling, A Martian, obviously, but something more robust than most of them. A savor of honest work about her sunburnt face, which my pallid friends away yonder were lacking in. And when we had stared at each other for a few moments in silence, she came forward a step or two and said without a trace of fear or shyness, are you a spirit, sir? (laughs) I mean, that's a question. I'd have been like, are you crazy eating my food? Why, I answered, about as much, no more or less than most of us. Aye, she said, I thought you were, for none but spirits live here upon this island. Are you for good or evil? Far better for the breakfast. (laughs) His hungry ass. Far better for the breakfast of which I fear I have robbed you. Yes, you did rob her. But wandering along the shore, and finding this pot boiling with no owner. I ventured to sample it, and it was so good, my appetite got the better of my manners. The girl bowed, and standing at a respectful distance, asked if I would like some fish as well. She had some, but not many. And if I would eat, she would cook them for me in a minute. It was not often, she added lightly. She had met one of my kind before. In fact, it was obvious that simple person did not actually take me for a being of another world. And was it not for me to say she was wrong? So adopting a dignity worthy of my reputation, I nodded gravely to her offer. She fetched from the boat four little fishes of the daintiest daintiest kind imaginable. They were each about as big as a hand and pale blue when you looked upon them, but so clear against the light that every bone and vein in their bodies could be traced. These were wrapped just as they were in a broad green leaf, and then the Martian, taking a pointed stick, made a hollow in the white ashes, laid them in side by side, and drew the hot dust over again. While they cooked, we chatted as though the acquaintance were the most casual thing in the world, and I found it was indeed an island we were on and not the mainland, as I had hoped at first. Seth, she told me, was far away to the eastward, and if the woodmen had gone by in their ships, they would have passed round to the to the northwest of where we were. I spent an hour or two with that amiable individual, and it is to be hoped sustained the character of a spiritual visitant with considerable dignity. In one particular, <laughs> in one particular at least, that namely of appetite. He is, like, real hungry. I did honor to my supposed source, and as my entertainer would not hear of payment in material kind, all I could do was show her some conjuring tricks, which greatly increased her belief in my supernatural origin, and to teach her some new hitches and knots, using her fishing line as a means of illustration, a demonstration which called from her the natural observation that we must be good sailors up aloft since we knew so much about Cordage. Then we parted. She had seen nothing of the woodmen, though she had heard they had been to Seth and thought, for some niceties of geographical calculation, which I could not follow, they would have crossed to the north, as just stated of her island. There, she told me, with much surprise at my desire for the information, how I might, by following the forest track to the westward coast, Make my way to a fishing village, where they would give me a canoe and direct me, since such was my extraordinary wish to the place where, if anywhere, the wild men had touched on their way home. She filled my wallet with dirty honey cakes, with dried honey cakes, and my mouth with sugar plums from her little store. Then, down on her knees went that poor waif of a worn-out civilization, and kissed my hands in humble farewell, and I, blushing to be so saluted and after all but a sailor got her by the rosy fingers and lifted her up shoulder high and getting one hand under her chin and the other behind her kissed her twice upon her pretty cheeks and so I say we parted. All right that was chapter nine. I gotta say I really liked this chapter just kind of like how it sounded all the words run together even though I didn't know a few of them but yeah I really liked I just liked how this chapter sounded to me so um yeah even though nothing really happened like nothing progressed until like the very last paragraph or so last two paragraphs where she was where the girl was just kind of like they they went that way they went that way So, yeah, that was kind of like a non. Yeah, wasn't as exciting as the. Well, kind of. We'll get back to it. We'll get back to it in the recap.